So we're focused this summer on being surprised by God. And as I was getting ready to come over here earlier, I could not get my robe to zip. zip, And I was surprised by that. And I thought y'all were going to be really surprised if I didn't have a robe on when I came over here. But miraculously, it zipped. And here we are. You see, you would have never known if I hadn't have told you about the effort it takes to get me to this place every morning. But being surprised by God is much bigger than that. We have seen how God's love surprises us, how his vision and his generosity surprises. And today and next week, we're going to focus on God's call, how God's call surprises us. This week, you you will get to hear my call story. Next week, Sabina will be in here to share how God's call has surprised her. But I think it's really important that you know this, that pastors aren't the only ones that are called. Missionaries aren't the only ones that are called. Each and us, are, each and every one of us are called by God. So keep that in mind this week and next week. Today we're going to be reading in First Timothy. And I want to remind you that you have an opportunity to keep up with our Bible reading plan each week. We have scriptures that go Monday to Saturday. You can access that online at concordunata.org Bible, or you can get a hard copy out of the information center. I still want to call it station, but it's center. Um, and it, it's important tomorrow, this scripture that I'm about to read will be um, tomorrow's reading. We know as followers of Jesus, reading scripture is important, and we just want to make sure that you know that we have a plan that connects to what we are doing here week in and week out, not just here on Sunday mornings, but what takes place as well through um, groups who use our study guide. First Timothy is written by Paul to, of all people, Timothy. Timothy, a mentee of his, a charge that he has sent to the church of Ephesus, a church that Paul started and spent quite a bit of time with, but he's not there when this letter is written, and he writes to Timothy, and this is found in 1 Timothy 1. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves our full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, you know what needs to be said today? You know what needs to be heard. Speak through me, to me, and despite of me. In your holy name, amen. So I have, I don't think I'm going to be alone in this, but I have a mug, I have a shirt, I have 
frame things that say these words. The mountains are calling and I must go. Does anyone else have that? Laughter is a sign of understanding. It actually is a quote by John Muir, who was this incredible naturalist in the late 1800s who was significant in the establishment of Yosemite National Park and in our park system. But the full quote is actually this. The mountains are calling and I must go and I will work while I can, studying incessantly. That is not on the things that we see up in Gatlinburg. But it was actually a letter he wrote to his sister. I love the quote. I've quoted it before. I love to hike and I've said to friends, do you hear that? It's the mountains. They're calling and I must go. Um, that, That concept of calling, what is that? When I think about how the mountains call me, I know it's rooted in my, my childhood, in my birthplace. I was born and raised in a small town outside of Asheville, North Carolina, called Weaverville. It was a metropolis in the 70s and 80s. It's just a little bigger now. It's actually quite a bit bigger. It's become part of Asheville. But yet, I was raised in the midst of these mountains that I didn't know any different. I thought everyone got to wake up and drive to school with those Blue Ridge Mountains in the, in the foreground and the background. You see, those mountains, when they call me, I long for them. They tug at me. I have this yearning. The concept of calling is not limited to John Muir's quote. It is actually found within Scripture. We see Abram, that God called Abram to leave, to go from his country and his people and his father's household to the land that God showed him. And you know what Abram did? He went. Moses, the burning bush, it says that God called to him from within the bush, called to him, Moses, Moses. What did Moses say? Here I am. Samuel, the Lord, it says, called Samuel. And what did he say? Here I am. Jesus called the disciples, and I have read the, in Matthew multiple, multiple times about Jesus calling the disciples to follow him. But for some reason, until just the last couple of weeks, I had never noticed that it literally says Jesus called them, called them to follow him, and they left immediately. Paul talks in Galatians 1 about how he was not called by man or by something that he had learned, but he was called by Jesus Christ, that that's where it came from. You see, being called by God is a summons. It is come. Being called by God is a summons. And like I said, it's not restricted to someone who's called into to be a pastor or a missionary. Each and every one of us, God summons us, not just once, but every day. He is drawing us to him and to what it is he wants us to do. In that small town in Weaverville, North Carolina, I recall my ninth grade year. And I just want to give context to my ninth grade year. We had a smoking pit at that point at the high school. Anybody remember those? 
the smoking area to high school, they don't exist anymore, obviously. But my, my social studies class, my ninth grade year, was in a single wide trailer. It was not a mobile unit. It wasn't double wide. It was a single wide trailer where you could get about two desks, a little bit of a walkway, and the chalkboard was there. And I remember sitting there. I don't remember the time of year it was, but I remember being in that classroom and feeling the tug to be a teacher. My mom's a retired teacher. Her mom is a retired teacher. On my dad's side, um, a great-great-grandfather taught at the early 1900s. We could say it's genetic. I don't know. It felt like a call. And I followed that call into education through my undergraduate training and through 22 years of getting to be an educator. And I'm not sure if you asked me then, actually I'm pretty sure if you asked me and said, is that what God's calling you to do? I'd be like, I have no idea. But I can tell you what it felt like to feel that tug towards being a teacher. We each and every one of us are summoned by God. Where do you feel God calling you? Where's that tug? Where is he leading you? Now, for some of us, as soon as I said that, you went ahead and you tossed up the reasons God would not be calling you. You did. We do. I've done it. It can't be God can't be calling me. Well, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not Methodist enough. I'm too Methodist. I don't know if that's possible. But you know the reasons that we give. It is a powerful that Paul in 1 Timothy, Timothy says this, even though, even though he was the worst of the worst of sinners, even though he was a blasphemer and he persecuted the early Christians, even though all those things, God called him. And I have those reasons in my own life, those even those, those reasons that when I feel the tug into full-time ministry, I would say, no, not me. It can't be me. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm a recovering alcoholic. You see, in my early 20s, in my mid-20s, I found myself finding my way to the recovery community. Not because I was excited about it. I was just tired of my life being in chaos. And when I showed up there, I had no idea how transformative it would be in my understanding of who God is. The 12 steps in the recovery community have been so formational in my understanding of who God is. After being in the recovery community for three years, a lady at work invited me back to church. You see, I was raised Lutheran. I knew how to do church. I knew God. I had that head knowledge. And then I started drinking, and I was ashamed, and I would tell people, I'm not going to be one of those hypocrites. You know, people in church, they're good, and I know I'm not good, so I got to get good before I show up. So it took three years of being sober and gaining a better understanding of who God is through the recovery community and the 12 steps. And I ended up in a church down the road at Cokesbury when a co-worker invited me. 
It was a January day and it was cold and I didn't want to go, but I'd made a commitment and I showed up. And we walk in the sanctuary and there's a guy I know from the recovery community. And I thought, oh my gosh, they let him in here. And he hadn't done anything like, he didn't commit murder or anything. It wasn't anything like that, but it was like, oh my gosh, there's someone like me at church. I consider myself a backdoor Christian. I come in the back door, but it's open. And that's what it was like there. And coming into Cokesbury and getting involved in that church was the beginning of a new relationship for me with church and with God. Even though, even though. So what are your even those? What are the reasons that you don't think God would be calling you to something today? You see, following God's call is like walking through fog. I got real involved when I started at Cokesbury in the late 90s. I served in the youth ministry. I taught Sunday school, coached basketball, chaperoned retreats, resurrection, choir tours. I moved into some leadership roles, got to be part of some new ministries that Cokesbury started. Some of them lasted a year. Others are still going to this day. Even though all my stuff, I got to be part of this. In the late 90s, early 2000s, I felt a call into full-time ministry. At Resurrection, they asked the kids, if you feel called into full-time ministry, come forward. I did that as an adult at Resurrection in the late 90s. I started the process through the Methodist Church in the year 2000. I met with a mentor. I met with him once. He never followed up with me, and I never followed up with him, and I do not fault him. It wasn't time. I had stuff yet to do. I had maturing yet to do. So I spent the next 15 years as an educator, both teaching and in administrative roles within the local schools. In 2014, we were driving back from South Carolina, and I started researching because even though my career was good, Even though we were settled as a family, that summons from God did not leave me. I couldn't shake it. I kept saying, but God, you've called me into education, and it's good. I like it. And it kept tugging. I reached out to a lady, a woman pastor, who I had talked to 15 years ago, and I met with her in February 2014. I said, like, my career's good. Everything is good. I just cannot shake this. And she told me it was like walking through the fog, that I was to put one foot in front of the other. And that is what I have done. And look where it got me. Walking through the fog is about taking those next steps wherever it is that God is calling you. In the fall of 2015, I entered this part in the discernment process that meant if I was going to keep walking forward into call up full-time ministry, I was going to need to go to seminary. And I knew I could not do that and be an assistant principal and a mom and a wife. And so I began to discern what the next steps were. The Thursday, the Friday before school was out for winter break in December of 2015, I turned my phone on that morning. That was back when I turned my phone off at night. Um, 
turned my phone on and my phone blew up with these litany of texts from the administrative team at Fulton High School that outlined our understanding of when Zay Dobson was killed. Zay, the young man who was a sophomore at Fulton High School, who was killed um, in Lonsdale, drive-by shooting, and he protected another kid. It was one of the most surreal experiences I've had. They didn't teach us in our education classes how to respond to that. I knew Zay, I'd worked with him his freshman year. We spent the next few weeks responding to Zay's death within our community. And on the day that I went before the District Committee on, Ordin on Ministry, which certified me for a candidate to move forward in seminary, when I was approved by that committee, I, I found myself at Zay's grave. I just wanted to go to Zay's grave. I stood between two cemetery plots with straw on them because the cemetery manager told me that there was another young man buried and he wasn't sure which one was Zay and which one was the other one. And I stood there on a beautiful blue sky, cool January day at that cemetery. I told Zay that we were so proud of him. For the first time, I cried over Zay over what he represents. And I told him, I said, Zay, what I am getting ready to do isn't about you. I believe in you. I believe in everything that I've gotten to be a part of. But God's calling me. And i got to go to what's next. I needed to reconcile that call into education that it was okay to leave. You see, following our call is about walking through the fog and we take those steps that get there. Our call journeys, each and every one of them, are supported by spiritual mentors along the way. The mentor of mine who, when I got to the psychological part of the process, I'm like, I don't, I don't know about this. Just so y'all know, I passed, I'm here. I was really concerned. Like those, even those, it was like, and, and what that spiritual mentor said to me is she said, so you're going to make the decision for God? Okay, maybe not. Okay, I'll go through with it. So those spiritual mentors at that decom meeting, a female pastor took me under her wing, not because the system appointed her, but because she took me under her wing. She spent a Sunday afternoon at her church office talking to me about the difference between deacon and elder, and she asked me three questions. She said, Brooke, I support you wherever God is leading you, but I want you to work, work with God, spend time with God answering these three questions. Are you hesitant because you're a woman? I don't know if I was just naive or what, but that didn't come to mind. Are you afraid you cannot preach? Yeah, I had spent years in front of students. I, they pretty much had to listen to me or they got in trouble. You all don't. I wasn't sure about what the adult thing would look like. But the third one was the one that stopped me in my tracks. Did I not feel worthy? And that, that, that was true. I didn't feel worthy of this, of this call. Not me, really? Come on, God, you know me better than anyone and you would call me? And what that, that mentor said to me, she said, Brooke, none of us are worthy. And I thought, oh my gosh, 
I've got a shot. And she spoke into my life and still does to this day that I am God's beloved daughter. I needed to be reminded of that time and time again. We are God's beloved sons and daughters, and he calls us, and it's not by mistake, and it is in the midst of our even those. I'd be remiss to not talk about the significance of my husband and our son in my call story. One of the greatest things that Clay Hartman does for me is he loves me the way God created me and the way my life experiences have refined me. I can't tell you what that means. And for our 17-year-old son, he's a, he has been part of the call story the whole time and the sacrifices he's made to be the pastor's kid. You see, people support us as we walk through. Part of taking, following God's call and summons on our life requires us to take actions of faith. I call it the God gap, where we can't figure out all the details. For us, that was particularly when I was leaving education where I made a decent amount of money, and it was being cut, and we were going to pay for seminary. And I was like, it just, I could not make the math work up, work out. But you know what? God called, and God provided, and all we had to do was take the next steps. When we follow God's call, we have to take actions of faith where it doesn't all add up, but God's going to work it out in ways we can't imagine. Paul talks about grace and mercy and love in 1 Timothy. Those are the foundations. We can't follow God's call on our lives if we don't believe that God loves us beyond anything we can earn, or, thank goodness, with mercy, we don't get what we deserve. That is the foundation that we are God's beloved. Grace, mercy, love comes from God, and it's the foundation. Paul also talks about in 1 Timothy the role of thanks and glory. I'm going to give you all spiritual consent if at any time in the days and weeks and months and years to come, you find me making this about me, you have spiritual consent, not to like shout it out in the middle of a service, preferably, but you have spiritual permission to speak into my life and say, Brooke, remember what you told us? That when we follow God's call, it is not about us. It never has been and it never will be. It's about God. It's about that love and that grace and that mercy, the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. That's who we direct everyone to, no matter what our call is. And we give thanks that it isn't about us, that it's about God. We give thanks for the big things and the little things. I think about me as that freshman in that trailer, sensing the call into education. And up until just a couple of weeks ago, I would have told you today that I've gotten two calls in my life. I don't believe I have. I believe I've gotten one big call. 
that started when I was a kid and looked like being an educator, and it was. That was part of it because nothing is wasted in God's economy. Every day I got to be a teacher, everything I got to do, it didn't, I didn't leave it at the school. It is proven important as I have gotten to walk out my call into, into full-time ministry. What about you? Where is God summoning you? What are those, even those, those things that prevent you from taking the next steps? Who are your mentors? Who are you mentoring? What are your next steps? Is it founded on God's grace, mercy, and love? And may we always give God the glory. May we always give God the glory. God's calling. We must go. Let us pray. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we give thanks that you call us. That we, you call us into things that are beyond our imagination because they are through you. Lord, you know what we need to hear today. You know those of us who have those reasons, we think there's no way you would call us. You know how we need to step forward as mentors. How we need to live into the foundation of your grace, your mercy, and your love. And Lord, as we come to the communion table today, may we be reminded that this is all about you, that it has never been about us. It's about you, Lord. May we stay true to that. Into your hands, may your will, not our will be done. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.